It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. What a piece of that championship. Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Welcome back in Fantasy Football Zone. And right now we got RotoWire.com's Joe Bartle joining us. And Joe, some of these wide receivers, I'm at my melting point with some of these guys. Some of the top ones that we've taken high in the draft, they are just not performing. And I think I've reached my breaking point this week. Yeah, it's interesting. You think about all the decisions you would have made if you were drafting in the late first round of 10-team or 12-team leagues. And it was it was a, a worthy debate, and one of those that you kind of you throw your shoulders up and say, I guess I'll take this guy, and it's between Devonta Adams and Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, and uh, at least towards the beginning of August, not so much to the, towards the end, it was Nick Chubb in that conversation, and Delvin Cook and Joe Mixon, too, and you look at the guys that, if you, I mean, like, Delvin Cook is maybe a league winner at this point. Michael Thomas is close to a darn league uh, winner as well, but the guys like Julio Jones and Devonta Adams, injuries aside, really have been almost league losers for you, especially if you had Joe Mixon, too, in that range. So it's crazy to think about what could have been if you were drafting in the, the later portion. The middle rounds, it's kind of like you're, you're left up to who takes the Saquon Barkley's and Christian McCaffrey's and Kamara's, and you go from that direction forward. But with receiver in particular, that was the that's where you're supposed to get the value, where it's supposed to be the safe pick at the end of the first round. And that really hasn't been the case in comparison to other players that could have been drafted at that spot. And I always have the mantra. I mean, I look at the numbers, but, you know, we pick these guys for a reason where we pick them. So we expect them to be in the lineup. I talked to a coworker this week. He's like, yeah, this week on my bench, I had Odell Beckham Jr. and also Juju Smith-Schuster. And oh, yeah. uh, I had Zach Pascal. I had Pascal starting in front of him. I mean, that's just how crazy it's been this year. So I don't know if I can go by my little mantra anymore of, you know, we draft these guys for a reason. They're superstars. They're going to break out sometime. But... I don't. This year, it's been just strange to hit on them. You know what? And that's a great that's a great example because I too also benched uh, Odell Beckham for Zach Pascal uh, in a couple different leagues, and I, I'm in 13 this year. And I think three or four, I have Odell Beckham, and it was again that late round picking area. I think like kind of that seven to eight range. You're taking him a little bit before the guys I mentioned, the Michael Thomases and, and Julio Jones and Delvin Cooks. But you could have that was all in that conversation. And Juju Smith-Schuster was another name that I also forgot at that back end of the first round that you just didn't know who could go uh, you could go with. And, and at least in the case of Juju, you were thinking, all right, I'm going to at least get a, a safe floor in a PPR league of 70 to 80 uh, receptions and probably that 120 to 130 target range, and that's perfect. That's that's kind of the reason you were drafting Michael Thomas at the same spot. And one of those guys has lived up to that, if not more, on Michael Thomas. And I think the injury to uh, Ben Roethlisberger has made a difference. However, with Antonio Brown gone, I think a lot of people were hoping – that Juju could st- uh, step into that role, and this, mm-hmm. that just hasn't happened. And I wonder if Roethlisberger being healthy makes this big of a difference. It certainly doesn't feel like it should be that big of a difference. However, Mason Rudolph has just been an absolute checkdown machine, and, and maybe you know overall NFL defenses are able to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage as a result. It's, it's crazy. And I, I agree with you. I have for a long time been under that mantra as well, where you, you play those studs you've drafted for a reason, and at some point they're going to go off and, especially in the early parts of the year when I think of like Aaron Rodgers against the Bears in week one, I was playing Rodgers at that spot because you draft him as a high quarterback knowing that he's going to be in these difficult spots, but he has the potential to go off. And it was around week six or week seven normally where I'm like, all right, we're cutting bait. But when we're able to identify such bad matchups, I think like the Redskins and the Jets 
yes. and the Giants and Buccaneers, at least the passing, or the Cardinals against the tight ends. Sometimes, and at least especially this year, they're almost transcendingly bad at specific spots where you have to go with those, those different ones. The Dolphins were a great example, too, with Zach Pascal last week. It didn't work out, and maybe the Dolphins are trending towards the right direction. But I think it's more so that we're seeing just so, so bad uh, specific matchups defensively that you have to take advantage of them, even if you have maybe middling guys like the Jujus and Odell Beckham that you normally would have in your lineup. Up next, I want to talk about the Stafford injury in Detroit because, you know, Jones and Galladay, you had to, like, pick a two, you know, pick which one's going to go off this week, it seemed like, for the last couple of weeks. But, you know, they were getting production, and now with Stafford out, you know, they, I guess they were hiding the injury a little bit. Oh, surprise, Matt Patricia, Patriots. Uh, but, <laughs> but I mean, this this could affect down the stretch here for the fantasy run. A lot of people putting some faith in Galladay and Jones down the stretch. Uh, we'll see how, how long this lasts, but it uh, could affect it down the stretch here. Yeah, and the Lions receiving core has been a little bit like the Buccaneers receiving core, like the, like the light version of it, right? Where yes. Mike Evans or Chris Godwin can go off at any point and not just go off, but like essentially win you your matchup if either one did what they normally do in a given week. Whereas Kenny Galladay was getting more like that 89 to receiving yards and a touchdown, and Marvin Jones is doing something like that, only he'll throw in a four-touchdown game every once in a blue moon, right? And, then, and that was that was good. I mean, you could rely on Marvin Jones as easily a flex option, if not a wide receiver, too. And Kenny Galladay has been in my lineup just about every single week for that same kind of context as a wide receiver, two, a wide receiver, one. I took him out in a few leagues. I didn't have the option to take him out in a few other ones. And this is a perfect example of even with a bad quarterback situation in a, in a, against a defense that is pretty good, not, not as good as they were last year in the Bears, but still pretty good that the volume these guys are going to get, even with Jeff Driscoll playing quarterback or anybody else, like you could say the same thing goes for Brandon Allen and Cortland Sutton for the Broncos receiving core. The, the sheer amount of targets and volume they're getting is going to override most of those middling options. Like uh, I, I like Paul Richardson a lot. We'll talk about him a little bit later yeah. as a guy to target this week against the Jets passing attack. But I'd still rather have Kenny Galladay against the Cowboys defense, just knowing that the Lions have to get some of their playmakers involved. And Ty Johnson's on concussion protocol, so he might not be available. And you could argue whether or not he's a playmaker, but there are so few guys that can really do anything for the Lions, and there's so many opportunities just available in the passing game alone that by default they're almost going to fall their way into a touchdown like we saw with Kenny Galladay this past week. And I think Marvin Jones is also a candidate for that. So at some point you want to fade, you want to fade those guys, especially when they're losing their quarterback. But it's never been easier in the NFL to be a quarterback. And I think we saw that just this past week. The Lions only lost by seven points, despite the fact, and maybe that's the Bears' incompetence and anything else, yeah. but Driscoll did enough. And that's and that's kind of where I feel like we're at with a lot of these quarterbacks, like Brandon Allen or uh, Ryan Finley, despite him really giving the game away on two different touchdowns for the Ravens. Those guys can do enough to make at least one receiver viable each week. And I think Galladay and, to some extent, Jones are talented enough where you don't have to worry so much about that. We had another big rookie wide receiver performance Monday Night Football. Debo Samuel, he went uh, off at a big career high in receptions and yardage. Uh, eight receptions, 112 yards against uh, Seattle. So, I mean, this is the trend of those rookie receivers. They, they're having big weeks, but the consistency, will it be there? And especially in San Francisco, I, I know the Sanders injury here, we'll have to walk, you know, see how that goes. But, uh, you know, and Kittle will be coming back. But is he someone, you know, they should be targeting this week or, you know, caution there? Yeah, I was just going to mention that the Kittle injury, too. I think that made a, a bigger difference. And, frankly, Debo could have done even better. He had a few critical drops. The 49ers receiving core as a whole had a, 
had a few drops, especially Kendrick Bourne, which really made a difference in that outcome. Um, but Samuel could have an even larger performance. It's interesting. I was never a huge fan of Debo Samuel, the guy that was obviously doing the show previously here. Jerry Donabedian was just all in on yep. Debo Samuel, and, and for good reason. I mean, you saw yep. uh, in college what his production could be. I think a lot of people are anticipating the 49ers passing attack being more potent than we saw this year, and that really hasn't been the case. Like, I, was, I wasn't on Samuel. I thought either Goodwin or Pettis yep. was going to be a great return on Valley past Ron 10 where they're being drafted. That really hasn't happened. In best ball formats, getting a guy like Debo Samuel where he's being drafted makes a lot of sense, but more than likely you weren't holding on to him, at least in 10 or even 12 team leagues at this point. So it, his production this past week was more on your bench or on the waiver wire, and it's, it's frustrating to see. If Sanders is out, I really think Samuel will do enough to be one of the top pickups or, or, or at least return value if you've already had your free agency period process uh, to do well. Because the Cardinals secondary, even with Patrick Peterson back, has not been fantastic. Both Godwin and Evans did all right last week, and uh, we saw O.J. Howard score as well, too. So there's going to be opportunities uh, to pass the ball, and I think Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida, so almost surprisingly in my opinion, haven't been involved in the passing game enough. And as a result, you're going to see at least one of those 49ers receivers go off. Guessing which one it's going to be, though, is frustrating. I think Samuel is talented enough to do so, but again, it depends on if Sanders is healthy because he's been an utter surprise for me. He's made a completely different impact on that 49ers offense than I would have anticipated. We talked about that two weeks ago when that trade occurred, and I thought, you know what, history says these receivers that get traded midseason don't make a big, big difference. Well, yeah. at least in the case of Sanders, he's very clearly one of the better route runners in the league. He's got a veteran presence and really knows how to play the game and work with Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think he's made Garoppolo better, and, and that's, a, that's a big difference too. So it's going to be interesting to see what his health status is as well as Kittle. I mean, if Kittle's out, and it, it was pretty clear that, at least based on the comments from Kyle Shanahan on Saturday and Friday when they were doing the practice sports leading to the Monday game, that he wasn't going to play on Monday night, and it was not even like a, oh, he's not going to play this week. Maybe he was in the future. Yeah. If he's out this week, Ross Dwelly against that Cardinals defense, which has been historically bad at stopping the tight end, could be one of the top options as well, too. And if you're a Kittle owner, stacking or you know having a, a, uh, uh, a handcuff to the tight end position sounds weird. When you have this type of matchup, I feel like Dwelly might be a, a pretty good pickup as well. Well, I know they're off this week, but we'll we'll get the Packers in here for you, uh, of course. Yeah, you know Aaron Jones. You know the talk has been made. Aaron Rodgers now has said, you know, maybe he should be mentioned in the MVP talk. You know, with McCaffrey and all that going on. And at first, I'm like, well, he's he's joking, right? But then I looked at the numbers and I'm like, okay, he's not on the McCaffrey level, but he's close. What do you think? Yeah, I think. It's interesting. Maybe we should pull more of the Packers fans overall because when I hear the Aaron Rodgers MVP talk, I get it. I've seen him play in the field. He's been great, as always, at avoiding turnovers. But he is not making as big of a difference as a Russell Wilson or even Lamar Jackson. And that's only because those guys are putting together transcendent seasons right now. It's not like Rodgers is playing poorly by any means. But those guys are just doing incredible stuff. So I've always kind of scoffed that Rodgers would be in the MVP conversation. Mm -hmm. The same thing should be said, though, for Aaron Jones. Like, with what Christian McCaffrey is doing for the Panthers, this past week aside, and and I knew it was going to be a problem given the speed that Curtis Samuel and D.J. Moore had, we literally saw what the Chiefs' defense, or I'm sorry, what the Chiefs' offense with the Tyreek Hills and Nico Harbins did against the Packers. So I thought same thing is going to apply for Moore, and lo and behold, he goes for 120-plus yards receiving. Samuel has a touchdown. They do great. So I wasn't worried about that. I knew McCaffrey would be fine. 
But really, McCaffrey against anybody else has been the sole reason the Panthers have been in games. And, and I look at Russell Wilson, it's the same type of thing. Aaron Jones doesn't really fit into that MVP category, in my opinion, despite how great he has been. I think they have enough weapons, and Rodgers is good enough, where defenses have to account for a lot of different things, and Aaron Jones has been able to benefit from that. He's also benefited from having a pretty tremendous backup in Jamal Williams. And I've been a, I've been a, I've been a Packers fan since I've been born. I, I'm pretty sure I bleed green and gold. I've been mocking Jamal Williams now for two or three seasons as a three, uh, three yards in a cloud of dust guy. Like, yep. He's Ryan Grant, and he's been Ryan Grant since he's been drafted, in my opinion. He's been a completely different player this year, both as a blocker and as a receiver. And we've also seen him be an impact player as a runner. He, like, he makes a difference when he's on the field, and that's why he's getting those 8 to 10 carries per game. I think Aaron Jones is benefiting from that. And as we're, like, I can't think of an MVP caliber running back who also has a really good backup behind him, and I think that's the case with Jamal Williams right now. So to me, it's a non-starter. He's, he's getting a lot of touchdowns, and the touchdown regression is going to come. Like, at, at some point, and, and Jerry actually wrote about this in an article posted recently. I, I wish I had the mm-hmm. exact name, but it was, it was pretty good, um, saying that, at some point, the receivers for the Packers are going to be able to get some separation in the red zone and get some of those touchdowns. It's going to happen, whether it be Marquez Velasquez-Scantling or Alan Lazard or Devontae Adams, more than likely. And as a result, they're going to see uh, Jones' numbers trend just a little bit downward. Well, see, here's the thing I was looking at because, you know, I'm thinking of LaFleur and I'm thinking of him in Tennessee last year. There was a certain running back that finally went off when it was fantasy playoff <laughs> time, and I was thinking, well, is Aaron Jones this year's Derrick Henry for fantasy owners down the stretch? Yeah, I, I feel like we've already seen Aaron Jones be this year's Derrick Henry. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's <laughs> going to be much better than what we're currently getting out of him. And and that's to say, Aaron Jones is a top five fantasy running back, just like Derrick Henry was during the fantasy playoffs. Does that continue? I don't know. They got some tough matchups to come. The 49ers, I'm very concerned overall is whether or not they're going to win, but I think they're going to get some production from the passing game in particular uh, on the few times that Aaron Rodgers is going to stand upright. I don't think the secondary can match what he can do. I just think the pass rush is going to be a problem. But Aaron Jones overall, I think we're getting like the best-case scenario for him. I don't really feel like, especially if you still have trade deadline available right now to trade for him, I don't know if I'm really like going to go out and give up uh, a Saquon Barkley or even an Alvin Kamara because I think we're going to see a regression point at some point. Um, again, the Bears in Week 15 and Vikings Week 16, that's like do-or-die fantasy playoff time. Yeah. Aaron Jones will get you there in that Week 13 and Week 14 against the Giants and Redskins, so maybe that's a valuable commodity to you. But when I'm looking at those, looking ahead at those two specific matchups, I can't in good conscience say I need to give up a significant asset when I know for certain he's not scoring three-plus three plus touchdowns moving forward. It's just, it just can't happen. You bring up a great point there, looking down the road here, especially if you're making your waiver wire pickups right now. You have to really you know, focus on who those Week 15 and 16 matchups are. That is, if, if you're, you're in a good position to win this thing and you're maybe thinking about picking up a guy, you definitely want to be looking ahead at the schedule here. Yeah, and it's not even just the fantasy playoffs. I see a lot, and maybe it's just my Twitter feed, I don't know, but <laughs> I see a lot of people ask about uh, a trade request too, and I'm like, yeah. well, it's great. Like This guy makes a lot of sense. But he also has a buy coming up, and and there's still buys to go yet that you have to consider. Is it worth jeopardizing your roster depth and also your potential at winning this past week and getting those points with those star players by building your roster for the future? I don't know. And in most cases, at least that I've seen, when people ask me questions, it's not. And I think that that needs to be considered as well. And and sometimes people go too far. They'll be like, oh, okay. 
do I want to trade away, uh, uh, give you Christian McCaffrey. No one's trading away Christian McCaffrey, but yeah. oh, do I want to trade Christian McCaffrey away uh, for Sam Darnold because he's playing some crazy teams week 15 and 16 that are great. And I'm like, well, no, like, <laughs> dial it down. I, 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 no, again, nobody is doing Christian McCaffrey for Sam Donald. But I'm just trying to point out the extremes, right, where you don't want to necessarily jeopardize your depth and your teams, your, your team standing in these next couple weeks just to plan for what the future might hold in week 15 and week 16. The NFL changes week to week, day to day. Mm-hmm. How can you necessarily prepare to that extent? Like, you, you have to have everything go right for those week 15 and week 16 matchups to work in your favor. And I think you also have to keep that in mind. I'll remember one, though, that benefited me. It was a long, oh, let's see, I think it was maybe 15 years ago. Kurt Warner and the great Arizona offense was running at high efficiency. They had a week 16 game in New England. And he threw for 97 yards, four interceptions, and it was out at half. And I won my league because the other guy had him in. And, again, he was carrying his team basically for the whole year. But then it came to that matchup, and that's another thing. We don't know with the weather games and all that getting late in the season. There's going to be so much of the uh, uncontrollable things that we we can't even factor in with these matchups. Yeah, I mean, listen, we live in the Midwest, and I'm sure listeners out there as well can understand what weather impacts can make a difference. But it's not just the snow that we saw this past week at Lambeau Field. There could be rain that's going on on the East Coast or snow there as well, cold, wind, whatever else. And and that does make a difference. That's why sometimes when I'm looking for trade acquisitions and if the Falcons or Saints or some of these other dome teams, the Lions would have been great if not for the concerns of Stafford's injuries moving forward. Um, those guys, like you feel safe at least knowing that you're going to have conditions that are relative success for fantasy value and that you can predict and will not change when they have home games moving forward. So if you're going out on a limb or you're trying to plan ahead for different matchups or else, just understand there's so much that can change, whether it be weather or injuries or anything else. Like We wouldn't have guessed 11 weeks ago when the season started that the 49ers' defense would be this good. We wouldn't have guessed that the Patriots' defense, fantasy-wise, would have been this good. Yep. But here we are. And again, that, that, that speaks credence to the fact that if you're trying to plan five weeks ahead, just be very cautious and careful with what asks you're giving up to do so because there's a reason you've gotten in this position, and it's because you have those guys. Going overboard and trying to trade or make acquisitions to set yourself up for the fantasy championships might not be the most prudent approach. But I see other guys in the league doing it, so that means I have to, right? I think that's <laughs> right, like... Yeah. It's, a, it's a gathering of arms, right? Yes. I think that's like the number one thing is everyone reacts because they see someone else in the league doing something, and I'm in one of these leagues where all of a sudden yesterday there was like five trades, and I'm like, guys, what's going on? But yeah, everyone seems to react to everyone. So sometimes it's the best... You know, thing is just to stay the course. I, I love making trades, and that's one of my favorite things about fantasy uh, football in particular. I I've, I play fantasy baseball and basketball as well, but especially in those season-long formats and how long those seasons are, yeah. it's a little bit more difficult to have those things happen. A trade can make a difference and win or lose your league each week, but also throughout the season, like that's how big of a difference these kinds of things make, which you have to be really careful. And, and I feel like there's a lot of people that, and I, I can raise my hand to this as well during that week's, four to six range where you're struggling and trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just want to make a move to make a move yep. and hope things work. I don't know if that's the right process, though, at this point of the season. You're so close to the fantasy promised land with getting to the playoffs, and anything can happen because it's a week-by-week sport uh, and week-by-week luck of the draw, it feels like. So just be very careful in the choices you're making on those trades. Don't go overboard and don't overreact to what your opponent might do. Unless it's a very significant upgrade, an obvious choice for you, 
makes sense. How I do want to just point out while while I have this platform, yes, we're talking about trades. If you are out of contention and you are in that you know two to eight range, three to seven, whatever else, mm-hmm. and you're not making the playoffs, don't just trade your bad players to somebody else and make the team better, or don't release them outright. That ruins the whole integrity of the league, <laughs> and I think it's a very important thing that if you are a fantasy sports player and you are not doing well this year, it is your obligation not just to set your lineup each week, but to play it out as if you're trying to win. Don't don't just give it in. That ruins the fun for everybody else, and yes. I think it ruins what happens when you win or if you win. Now, I do have to, I have to counter that. What if you are in a keeper league and you have, oh, different, and you have draft picks on the line? So oh, that that's completely different. Okay. I'm, I'm talking right. more about standard leagues. Yes, if there's keepers, and I'm in a few dynasty and keeper leagues, yes. and I am all in on on the trading for to make a difference now or make a run now or trying to plan for the future. Completely on board with that, and why I love doing keeper and dynasty leagues. That's literally the whole reason. Because your season never really ends. Yes. Even if you're doing bad, you can still plan ahead for the future and participate in the league. But I'm saying more in the standard format, you have an obligation to continue doing waiver wire moves and not just giving up or making outright bad trades just to make another team better because, oh, well, I'm out of the playoffs. That, that stuff really bothers me. And I've seen it too many times either on Twitter or personally yes. in leagues that I've been in. Joe, thank you for – that is an important topic. Thank you for addressing that. Set your lineups, please, folks. It's it's it, an easy thing to do. You've done it for ten weeks. I was going to say it's not that hard. And, and even if you're not you're not doing it right, and you're like, oh man, I've I've been wrong so many times before. At least just set the lines. Pick up the waiver wire yes. guys that to fill in your lineup all the way. That's the thing that bothers me the most. That you see, if you're like six and four, and you, and you you need a win to get in the playoffs, but you need some other people to lose yep. above you, and yet they're playing some teams that just aren't doing anything. That's frustrating, and it's a frustrating thing to say. Oh, especially in leagues that don't count. Uh, total points into the playoff equation, which I would recommend. And one of the big, big setting changes I wish would happen across all fantasy sports is taking into account total points scored. Yes. I feel like it's more of a true indicator. Mm-hmm. But at least that don't do that. You're kind of left up to the whims of the rest of your league. And it's frustrating when they're not participating all, all the way through. On that note here, before we get to the Week 11 matchup, discussion came up in one of my keeper leagues this year where we were talking about, you know, maybe the guy that scores the most points gets, you know, like a half win, and it would help them you know, towards playoff positioning or get, you know, more credit because I tend to be the guy in the league that scores like the, the least amount of points, but has eight wins. Oh, on you're the one of those guys. I'm how, one how of those you? guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I, I laugh when they propose that. I'm like, Oh, you guys are targeting me. And he's like, well, yeah, but I'm like, <laughs> I see the point though, because yeah, the guy that scores the most point or the team that scores the most, there should be something there, and I'm glad to hear that maybe that might be a thing the industry you know, might be looking at to change here. Yeah, I think fantasy sports is, is pretty slow to change, particularly on like a, a macro level, right? Like if you go into more of these dynasty or, or keeper leagues, or, there's always some, like, um, I guess, not so different, but there's, there's more minute rule changes that happen and occur. And I think we've kind of seen the change from standard to PPR scoring become more universal. Yep. What I think the next thing that needs to occur is really taking, taking into account the total points. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. I'm in a few leagues where that first, that week's one through three range, you get a win not based off of who you're playing, but just if you're in the top half of the highest scoring portion of the league. Okay. And I like that idea quite a bit, too. However, you can also take into account the total points when it comes to maybe the, the third or fourth playoff spot or whatever the last two are in your league, whether you're in 10 or 12-team leagues. Like, Let's award the first four points the overall record and still keep true to the mantra that you're any given week you can win and, and make a difference. 
but then also take into account the total points scores for those final two spots. I think that's a good compromise um, for people that just run to bad luck. And and I sit here raising my hand in my apartment as we're talking because I'm very much the person that scores the second or third most points. Well, it'll be like five and four or four and five <laughs> because I've just run to bad luck. That happens every single year. Yep. And no matter if I'm in 13 leagues or three leagues, you could basically and consistently say, I will be at the top where I'm scoring a lot of points but also losing. And I have no idea what bad juju I've brought upon myself to make that happen. But it is consistent, and you could basically bet on it every single year occurring. Yeah, I think in the one league where I've, I've won six in a row now and I'm up to third place, I, uh, I'm being outscored by, I think, 300 points by the two, two teams. <laughs> so yes. you're, you're one of those people that I really get angry at when I'm looking yes, at the standings. <laughs> I am that guy. So let's get into Week 11 matchups. Who are you liking at uh, running back position this week, Joe? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens moving forward with the Raiders' uh, attack. But I think Josh Jacobs in particular, talk about the Derrick Henry of the, the playoff matchups last year. I think Josh Jacobs has a schedule looking forward that, Again, I, I just sent stood in my soapbox and said, don't go ahead and trade significant assets for guys that are like doing crazy stuff like Christian McCaffrey or whatever else. I think Josh Jacobs has a schedule that is worthy of really going out and aggressively acquiring for. They play the Bengals this week, the Jets this next or in Week 12. Now, the Jets are horrible at the pass defense, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but they're actually okay at the run defense. How are they? The Chiefs and then Titans, the Jaguars in Weeks 15 and Chargers in Week 16. Each one of those teams, the best one, the best one at stopping the run is the Jets. I love what Josh Jacobs is doing uh, in that offense. I like the Raiders' offense as well overall, and it's, it's gross to say, given John Gruden, how much I was laughing at him last year, but he's done some great things with, I think, lesser parts. Yes. And I, I feel very comfortable moving forward saying Josh Jacobs is going to be a guy that you could consistently rely on as a top 10 if not top 15 overall running back in fantasy. And I am still kicking myself for not taking him uh, when I had the chance to in the draft because I took Damon Williams. So, <laughs> and yeah. well, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Damon Williams has been getting much more of the target share now yeah. and the, the volume as well. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was an, uh, an active benching last week, and yes, Damian Williams fumbled. But that Chiefs offense, I, I still will stand by Damian Williams. Now, he's not as good as Josh Jacobs. Uh, and I don't think he will be the rest of the way. But I think Damian Williams is also going to be pretty good moving forward because Patrick Mahomes is back. And just how we've seen what the Chiefs' defense is this year. And in order for them to win, they're going to have to score and score a bunch. And give me the running back in any team with an explosive quarterback that has to score a bunch. Like I feel pretty pretty confident moving forward. Damian Williams will still be a good return on investment. Is there another running back you're looking at this week you like? Yeah, I, I really think that Darius Geis, in his return this week is going to be a prominent factor against that Jets defense. Again, they're pretty good stopping the run. But if you look at the over-under, it's at 38.5. And maybe if that was accounting for just offensive scores, I would take into consideration the under. But I think this is going to be more high scoring than Vegas might indicate. So long as the weather holds up, it seems like everything's going to be fine. No rain coming again. We're, we're doing this on Wednesday, so yeah. we don't know for certain what's going to happen. But even with Adrian Pearson behind him, I think there's going to be some offense in involved for Terry McLaurin, but Darius Geis is going to get in there, and maybe it's just me anticipating a game script that might not happen, or you know, going to a storyline that, that shouldn't be looked into much further, but in his first game back, it felt like the Redskins were going to get Geis involved this season. The injury obviously occurred. Adrian Pearson was a healthy scratch. Like It was very clear yes. that the Redskins didn't want to have Peterson involved in their future, and I think Geis is their future. That's about the only good thing they have going for them right now. I feel very comfortable saying they're going to at least get them involved in the red zone. 
Are they going to get in the red zone? Well, most weeks, no. And especially with Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback, you wouldn't always feel confident saying that. I do think in this matchup with the how bad the Jets' defense has been, it's very possible that guys are going to get more involved and have opportunities to score. All right, on to those much maligned wide receivers that we've been talking about. Who do you like this week? All right, and I'm, I'm trying to pick out receivers that you wouldn't normally target. Yes. Like, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, yeah, of yeah, course you're starting guaranteed him. Guaranteed starts, yes. I, I like Terry McLaurin, and, and you were benching him probably the last two weeks with the Bills going on and everything else, the bye week, obviously, too. And you would think with Dwayne Haskins and how bad he's been at quarterback that you wouldn't want to start him. McLaurin is a very explosive receiver. We've seen that throughout this season thus far. And a lot of rookie receivers have popped off, but no one really has been this consistent this season as McLaurin has been, especially as rookie wideout. I think he's going to have a great opportunity to do well. The same thing goes for a guy like Paul Richardson, too, who led the team in targets and receptions the, the last week they played. Now it was only four, so like, let's not get ahead of ourselves with that crazy statistic or number and say, oh, yeah, Richardson's going to be the guy. I do think over maybe a guy like Trey Quinn, who is getting more playing time but not as much involved in the passing game, Richardson has the speed and explosiveness that really takes his one big play to break off. And if you're looking for a flex or wide receiver three, I would go that, I would go that direction. The same could be said for the other side, though, with the Jets going against the Redskins. Demaryius Thomas is quietly producing as a wide receiver 20 to 25 range in the last three or four weeks. We know Jamison Crowder has been excellent and has scored at least 15 fantasy points in PPR leagues uh, in every start with Sam Darnold thus far, I'm pretty sure. But Demaryius Thomas is also quietly doing that as well. And I think, again, there's going to be points scored in this matchup. You wouldn't assume, oh, I need to go start Demaryius Thomas. But I feel comfortable saying he's going to be in that 25 or 20 25 wide receiver range again against the Redskins. All right, quarterback you're looking at this week. Uh, like we said, usually down the line, maybe one that you want to pick out here. Yeah, you mean I can't uh, brag about my Lamar Jackson call? No. It's not going to be allowed. Yeah, he, was, he was the guy that I love probably the most out of uh, anybody I drafted this year, and I, I feel very good. In fact, he's probably the reason I am uh, above 500 in almost every league this year so far. I think Tom Brady is a guy that you're not starting normally. Again, they had the bias. So you're, you're not thinking about it too much. And, oh, well, maybe do I want to start him this week? Against the Eagles, yeah. we've seen how bad the Eagles secondary has been. Yeah. We have him currently ranked number seven, and that's guys like Mahomes and Jackson and Breeze, Prescott Rivers, Watson. Those like Some of the normal names you'd have up in that top five. I think Brady's going to be pretty darn close to top five option as well. And he doesn't get the benefit of rushing for yards like Mark Jackson does or Josh Allen or anything like that. He's going to be solely passing we saw it on that Sunday game with the Ravens, how efficient and effective that passing game has been for New England. Even with Nikhil Harry back, Josh Gordon gone, I don't think they're going to miss a beat. And I feel very comfortable saying Brady's going to be a top-five fantasy quarterback. Okay, while we're on Patriots here and we're going to transition to tight ends, that story comes out again that Robert Kraft supposedly wants Gronk back for the stretch run. So as fantasy... <laughs> Do you even put a claim in for him, even because yeah. you hear that? or Because I know there's some guys out there like, oh, Gronk's going to be back, but you got to think he hasn't played a whole season. If he does come back, I mean, it sounds like if he does, they're just going to use him in the playoffs. Yeah, and I, I would love to have, uh, you know, I would love to have a convertible too, uh, yeah, but exactly. I don't get what I always want. Yes. So I'm sorry, Robert Kraft. Uh, we could make some other jokes that might be in poor taste, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> I'm just going to say that just because you might want Gronkowski back, doesn't mean you're going to get him. And are you even getting the Gronk that can even play in the NFL? Like, if you saw images of him earlier in August and September, He's... he does not look like a guy that can play in the NFL, much less be this red zone threat, which is really what they need him for. They don't need him for the short passes. They don't need him to stretch the field. It would just be a red zone guy. And the body type just that Gronk has right now, or at least he did 
with the pictures we saw wouldn't make me think, oh, yes, starting caliber fantasy tight end. And yeah. I, I get the tight end position has been difficult and hard to predict, but you're wasting a roster spot, much less a, much less a waiver claim, if you're going out and acquiring Gronk just based off of what Robert Kraft is saying. So on to Week 11 now with the tight end matchups. Who are we liking? All right, I talked about Ross Dwelly. I won't go into that too much further. But again, if Kittle is out, we don't know his stats this week. It, he would be very clearly a top 10 fantasy tight end for me against the Cardinals' defense. Going down the line, I know it feels really gross to say going against the Bears defense. I don't mind Gerald Everett, though, as a top-10 fantasy tight end option. I think you're looking at picking up a few guys, especially with the bye weeks going on this week. Uh, like Jacob Hollister might have been a, a hot pickup for you with the Seahawks on bye. That doesn't work. I think Everett has a chance to fit in there. The same goes for O.J. Howard. It's, it's <laughs> gross, again, to say him. Uh, he burned a lot of people. I've seen him on waiver wires a lot, and I have not been going out and getting him, so... This might be one of those, I need to practice what I preach a little bit more. But Howard has the potential. The Buccaneers' offense is pretty darn effective with Godwin and Evans going around and Winston throwing the ball, whether it's to other teams or to his own teammates. Yes. I think O.J. Howard can do enough where you have to start him this week. I wouldn't feel comfortable, but he'll do enough where you can get that 8 to 10 points in the PPR format and feel okay, assuming that might happen. And those defensive matchups this week, who you got? Yeah, I, w- I wish I could defer to Jerry on that because yes. he's way more. He, I mean, he's way more on point with that. And he's been on point all year long. I've been picking up the Raiders in just about every format going against the Bengals. I don't think the Raiders have the playmakers to do what we saw at the Ravens last week, where they scored two defensive touchdowns. They're going to be missing potentially both of their starting or both their starting safeties, not just for this week but for the rest of the season. I just have no confidence in Ryan Finley. I have no confidence in the Bengals' offense. And other than really Tyler Boyd, I don't think they have playmakers to do anything, and the pass rush has kind of come on in the last few weeks for the Raiders. If anything, they're going to get you a few safety points from the sacks, and I think the turnovers are going to happen, whether it be from a fumble or an interception, Uh, and I feel comfortable saying they're the top pickup this week. We have them ranked number eight, and I think that's probably closer behind like the Vikings against Denver and the Rams against Trubisky or Turbisky, and, and we've seen the 49ers defense do pretty well, too. But Raiders are the top pickup overall this week, and I don't think there's any other clear options other than the Raiders. And once again, Joe Bartlerotowire.com. Give us a lowdown on all the podcasts you help out with and uh, help, especially with those waiver wire uh, decisions coming up. Yeah, we actually we spent a majority of the time this past Tuesday talking about different waiver wire options. And as much as I would love to go out on the limb here with talking with you and say I love Dwayne Haskins, <laughs> I spent the majority of the podcast talking about that, and I didn't feel like I need to go any further on this one discussing my love for him. I did have a board bet with my co-host, Jake Latarski, and we have a Culver's bet on the line, Ooh, so that's high stakes, very is. high stakes, that Dwayne Haskins is going to outscore, uh, I think it was, oh man, maybe not Trubisky, I, I think it was, oh, it was Kyle Allen against oh, okay. the Falcons defense. So it's going to be Dwayne Haskins, I think, outscoring Kyle Allen, mm-hmm. and whoever wins gets their uh, Culver's lunch paid for by the other person. That's the, or that's the kind of high stakes listening stuff that you have going on for this Tuesday podcast. Definitely Definitely tune in if you get a chance to. I always post on Twitter. Rotoware has done a Twitter account too, and all the all the Rotoware podcasts throughout the week are great listen to if you're looking for some fancy knowledge. When you have bets like that, that is don't miss podcasts right there. That, <laughs> exactly. I tell you, there's you, nothing higher than that. You turn that off. <laughs> yes. Well, Joe, again, thank you very much for your time this week. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. And that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the Fantasy Football Zone podcast. Thanks again for checking us out. You can find us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Wish you best of luck this week, and we'll check in with you again next week. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. 
Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.